welcome to the second episode of the Positive Media Diet Podcast. I'm Wendy Fuller. Thank you for listening in as we discuss seven positive news stories chosen from our Twitter feed this week. Story subjects include emotional contagion, a vast underground city, Tesla home batteries, a vertical farm, what your cat is telling you, how to unstick a song from your head, and the people changing their lives to organize protests. Let's say you've met up with a friend. You're in a great mood. Your friend, though, is upset. How likely is it that one of you will adopt the other person's mood? According to Michael Bond, writing for Discover Magazine, pretty likely. This is because of emotional contagion. We actually get infected by the moods of others. Emotional contagion is what makes it possible to empathize. When we're interacting with a friend, we mimic each other's facial movements, unconsciously and at lightning speed. Our muscle movements happen within milliseconds, much too fast for our brain to register emotions. But once our muscles move, they trigger our brain to feel emotions. So the next time you hang out with an upset friend, just try listening and holding on to your good mood. Chances are your mood will infect them, too, bringing them some relief from their pain, without you even saying a word. Our next story takes us to central Turkey, to a region called Cappadocia. People have lived in the area for thousands of years, and they've carved homes into the soft, porous rock formed from volcanic ash called tuff. Turkey has long been a contested land because it's located between Europe and Asia. For the people who fled invaders over the centuries, one survival strategy was to live underground, out of sight. Jennifer Penkowski reports for National Geographic that researchers have discovered a massive underground city, carved into the tuff and likely occupied off and on for at least 1,000 years. Perhaps 20,000 citizens or more lived there from the time of the early Christian Byzantine Empire, about the year 400 in the Common Era, until the Ottoman conquest in the mid-1500s. A laser-scan-generated video shows you the spaces and interconnecting rooms so that you can imagine what it was like walking its corridors, lit by linseed oil lamps a thousand years ago. Visit PositiveMediaDiet.com for a link to the article with the video. These days, we light our homes with electricity, rather than linseed oil. Some very good news for how that electricity might be renewable and affordable comes to us from Richard Taylor, writing for the BBC. Tesla, an electric car company, announced that they will be selling a rechargeable lithium-ion battery unit to individuals for residential solar power storage. The big surprise is that Tesla is pricing them between $3,000 and $3,500, or about $250 per kilowatt hour. This is significantly cheaper than currently available batteries. Battery storage has been the biggest hurdle for most people wanting to transition to solar power because batteries tend to be large and are often cost prohibitive. Tesla's home batteries are the same ones they use in their electric cars, so they're compact. Following Tesla's announcement, consumers placed 38,000 pre-orders as of May 6, 2015, according to Kirsten Korosek writing for Fortune. Soon we might all be able to enjoy stored sunlight powering our homes on rainy days. Until recently, urban farming meant gardening in vacant lots or on rooftops, anywhere with soil and sunlight. 
but vertical farming is done inside buildings with grow lights and uses no soil. Andrew Buncombe, writing for The Independent, says that Arrow Farms is building the largest vertical farm in the world, just across the Hudson River from New York City in Newark, New Jersey. They're retrofitting an old steel mill to be able to produce up to 30 harvests a year of greens and herbs, while at the same time using 95% less water than traditional farming. Plants are surrounded by cloths which feed and water them, and get their light from LEDs. Without reliance on the sun and soil, arrow farms can harvest plants in just 12 to 16 days, after which greens arrive at our tables in New York City within a few hours. This is in contrast to greens that usually come from California or Arizona, requiring more time and resources to make it to us. Perhaps someday we'll have a vertical farm on every block. Most of us who have cats know exactly what they're trying to say to us. For instance, my cat, Front, will sit at my feet and cry expectantly when it's time for her mid-morning tour of the apartment. I'll dutifully pick her up and show her all the sights. Melissa Dahl, writing for New York Magazine, says there's a bit more to how cats communicate with us. Purring is a bit like the word aloha. It means a lot of things, but mostly it means don't go anywhere. Greeting you at the door really is saying that they missed you. And the looks on their faces show how they feel and also whether they're in pain. Perhaps the biggest surprise Dahl mentions is that cats don't meow to each other. It's a strategy they've developed to communicate with us. A strategy that's worked. Often the only person who understands a cat's meow is their caregiver, because each cat developed their language completely independently. For instance, my cat Yanto shares an automatic feeder with Front and is convinced that it's necessary to pace the apartment about half an hour before feeding time, announcing his presence so that it will dispense. It's a distinctive call I've set to his name and will often call back to him. It sounds a bit like this. Yanto! If you get my version of Yanto's cry stuck in your head, or an insidious song like The Song That Never Ends, now there's a trick for getting it unstuck. Chew gum. Sophia Lyons, writing for New York Magazine, cites a study in the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology, which says chewing gum interferes with articulatory motor programming and keeps you from hearing the music. So if you've ever had a song stuck in your head for days, like Roscoe by the band Midlake, for instance, it's a relief to know there's a way to get it out. Most of us, seeing the protests against the killing of American black men by the police in cities such as Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore, Maryland, do our part to retweet protest messages. But David Graham, writing for The Atlantic, says some dedicated individuals have gone beyond Twitter and are now seasoned protest organizers. He profiles people who have changed their lives to get involved and work for positive nonviolent change. Joseph Kent is a student at Morgan State University in Baltimore whose 24-hour disappearance following his arrest became a rallying point and a trending hashtag. He was responsible for leading several protests and convincing protesters to maintain calm in both Ferguson and Baltimore. Doray McKesson quit his job to join the protests in Ferguson. He's been a deft social media organizer as well as protest organizer, 
in Ferguson and in Baltimore. Brock Satter, a founding member of Mass Action Against Police Brutality, organized protests in Boston in solidarity with the protests in Ferguson and Baltimore. And Umara Elliott helped organize protests in New York City, including Millions March NYC. Their commitment to nonviolence and convincing others to join marches is helping to change the way our communities police themselves. Thank you for joining me today for this episode of the Positive Media Diet Podcast. Once again, I'm Wendy Fuller. I hope you'll join me again next week when I'll review more positive news. You can find me on Twitter at Pause Media Diet. That's P-O-S Media Diet. Today's episode was written and produced by me. The music is royalty-free public domain works from museopen.org. Visit positivemediadiet.com for the links to download the music for yourself. <laughs>